Well, hello there, Mr. Troy. How are you today? Hey, Bryn. I am good. How are you? I'm great. If uh, you guys haven't realized yet by listening on your phones, your radios, wherever you are, computers, we are back. Welcome to episode two of Popcorn Society. Hope you enjoyed episode one. And uh, we are going to keep this going, moving and growing. Troy, how did you like our first episode? Anything that you want to uh, review, redo? What did you like? Um, how do you think we're do- doing so far? You having fun? I'm, I'm definitely having fun. I don't know if the audience is having fun yet, but hopefully they will keep turning up. And the first time's always awkward. Yeah. Like sex. Yeah. You know, and then after you kind of do it a few more times, you kind of get the groove yeah, you of what's going on. Spot. Yeah, you, you find that. You just won't find that G spot because that's a myth. Yeah, not the G spot, the sweet spot. The sweet yeah, spot. I mean, who cares if, if they're having fun? As long as we are having fun, that's all that really matters. I don't care about them as much, right? Yeah, that's the way I feel about sex too. Yeah, this is all about me. It's all about it, us. Exactly. And the way I look at it, if we are having a good time, they will have a good time. But the focus should always be on us first, audience, maybe distant second. I wholeheartedly agree. You it's all about me. It's all about us. Yeah, we are the Popcorn Society. So if you're listening, you already are part of our show and you are enjoying yourself. So welcome. Are you drinking tonight, Troy? Because I am. You know, I am foregoing on the cocktail this evening because I'm afraid that it's been a long week. And if I have a little spirit, I might not have enough spirit to make it through the podcast. Okay. Well, good on you. I'm just having a little bit of some Woodford here just to take the edge off. Ooh, classic bourbon. Love it. That's right. To make this just go down a little bit more smoothly, you know, for us and for everybody. But we are glad to be back. Um, Episode two is uh, here. Episode one was great. And we will uh, keep bringing you guys some good stuff. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about, as we a little bit gave you a preview last time, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3 by James Gunn. A lot to get into with that. Um, We'll get our Popcorn Society take. I do like to sprinkle in a little bit of pop culture whenever we can. And I just thought, you know what? What is going on in the world of entertainment or pop culture recently? And I can't can't not look at my phone without seeing somebody that attended the Taylor Swift concert. Like it is everywhere. I feel like I'm the only one that didn't go to Taylor Swift. So Troy, I think you went. Didn't you go see Taylor Swift? Am I I wrong on that? No, I actually did. I actually saw the final show the final la show which was also the final show of the north american tour my gosh and it was amazing it was was my first taylor swift concert Mm -hmm. and it was an experience i am so glad i went i wasn't expecting the spectacle that it was Mm -hmm. i mean there was a lot of tweeners i mean there was all demographics were there yeah, there were teenage kids. There were moms. There were, I mean, nobody's super everybody. old, but but everybody. She and, appeals to all ages, right? Yes, and Apparently. people were dressed up from all the different albums. I wasn't expecting that. Did you have but, a Taylor Swift shirt on or anything kind of? Uh, no, no, I did have some heart glasses, all right. and cool. Um, that was it. And then. Your wife actually told me if I had the number 13 anywhere on me, and I said, no, why would I have that? And then she went on to further explain that that's her favorite number, which I wasn't aware of. Oh, but I I, don't know that. 
Yeah, but there were a lot of people sporting the number 13, either written on their arms or on Isn't items of clothing. Unlucky number, like traditionally, like 13 is not a lucky number, right? Like you don't but, have 13 floors and in, in buildings. So, but you know, know, I respect it. She's going against the norm. She's going against the yeah. grain. You can always respect somebody that goes against the grain, knowing you, Troy. Yes, I like a rebel. So, <laughs> although I would say Taylor Swift is about as mainstream as it gets now. This concert she, of your life? No, up there. Not the best concert. I mean, it was a grand production. It was very much like a Vegas show. I felt like I was watching a Vegas show. It was. I mean, it was. It was awesome. It's definitely a performance. I think she does more performing than she does singing. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's in in a live show. It's all about the performance and what you're experiencing more so than what you're just hearing, right? It's right. taking all the senses. But um, yeah, I'm glad I went. It was quite the experience, and I'm not sure if I would ever go to a Taylor Swift concert again. It was it was fun. I had a good time. That's great. Well, like I said, I think uh, on my social media feeds, um, it seems like everybody went except me, my wife. So hopefully. My wife doesn't hold it against me, and uh, there'll be another Taylor Swift tour we can go on uh, another time. But um, okay, so that's Taylor Swift. Um, one other thing, one other thing, kind of that is very paramount in the movie pop culture, you know, universe is this freaking writers slash SAG act SAG AFTRA actors strike. I mean, this is directly impacting what we like to talk about more is you know movies as opposed to music. But man, it's it's frustrating. I can't remember there being like a, a strike like this. I know there was a writer strike maybe like eight years ago or something, but this seems much more of a bigger deal. And Troy, I think you've done some writing in the past too. So where do you lie on this issue? And is it just a bummer that we're not getting, you know, that production then is halted and, and the movies are being delayed? Is that kind of what you're healing to? Yeah. I mean, I think that's the biggest impact that, you know, the normal person, even though they don't feel it now, but this writer strike is impacting like the release dates of movies right now. Yeah. So it's causing delays for, yeah, and again, going back to it being all about us. That's what I care about. I want to yeah. see the content. Figure exactly. It out, people. You know, in regards to what the strikes about, I know they're talking a lot about, you know, how with the different streaming media and the, you know, mm -hmm. the revenues that are associated with that and whether the writers are getting fair, compensation and especially i was surprised you know about the ai aspect of it because yeah. apparently you know the studios now want to do scripts with chat gpt and then have writers just kind of come in and clean them up mm -hmm. i don't know if that's going to be an actual thing it's i feel with technology there's always going to be people who are against it and i'm not always saying that technology is a good thing it's something so you, we do we have to learn to live with you're on the I, writer's side. Yeah, you think the studios are being kind of greedy here, a little bit unfair in terms of not only the money side, but like what they're looking to do in the AI side and just kind of cheapen the value of a, a writer and I guess the actor too, in some respects, because there's talk of them like scanning um, extras in, on film sets and then using their likeness again, you know, whenever they want at no the the extra actor being compensated so it's kind of a crazy world you know and it's hard for me to sympathize with the studios you know and they're talking about they're trying to um, make sure that they're making a profit when bob Iger was just paid i think 37 million dollars yeah, and that's a lot of money it is a, a lot of money 
And, you know, and they're talking about, oh, you know, we, they just took a big hit in, in streaming. They lost a bunch of subscribers on Disney plus and they're losing money. Maybe sympathize with the movie studios a little more when they start talking about like, oh, we're losing money on this and that. If they didn't make so much damn money, if the heads of the studios didn't make so much damn money. Yep. So I feel like, hey, you could probably take a little reduction in salary and and make sure that the people who are actually making the entertainment that you're profiting from are fairly compensated. It's yeah, uh, yeah, it's it's hard for me to sympathize with movie studios when they keep claiming that oh we're losing money, we're losing money, but the the heads of these studios are yeah making millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, how about your you be smarter with your money in terms of budgets in terms of what you're paying your executives and you make better movies people will go to the theaters and see them i mean if you put crap movies out there on big budgets like i don't know let's say the flash or something like that you know it's gonna lose money and you know you're not gonna recuperate yeah it's kind of a crazy situation hopefully it gets resolved soon um you've done some writing troy a little bit with some short films and then without getting too far into like the writing process but is that pretty hard? I mean, I've never written a, any kind of film, but what's your ex, your take on just a writer, being a writer for film? With me, the writing process is, it's easy if I have an idea and I know you know, what I want to write about and I generally have it in my head before I put it on paper. Mm-hmm. So the way I write in that regard is easy. I don't, you know, a lot of studio writers, Hollywood writers, especially ones that write for TV and episodic content it's i think it would be difficult for me to do that because then they have to constantly you know there's a showrunner and they said like okay we want to start doing this or you know this is what we want you to write and for me that would be a little harder but since i just write things that i develop myself and there's no other input it does take me a lot a long time to you know think of an idea and develop it before i put it down on paper so yeah. i don't want people to think like, oh, I just can create something. I I do have to stew on it. And if it's something that I've been passionate about, or I really need to, it, it, it tends to flow pretty easily once I start writing. Yeah. I mean, good writing a good movie or film. I mean, I'm sure pretty sure that's, that's really damn hard. So people that actually do that well, I, I salute you. And just one last thing in regards to the writing strike and the actor strike. I mean, I think we should go on a podcast strike until we're paid fairly. For these podcasts because i think we're getting ripped off here with how much money is coming our way so that's just that's all i said about all i say about that come on well, we, we, would, we would probably never make another podcast okay maybe maybe you're right <laughs> maybe you're right but, but once uh, again we're doing this for us and yes. the pure enjoyment of of doing it that we yeah. get money be damned money it's exactly. not about the money not about the money well well speaking of uh I mean, we could spend a whole podcast talking about the state of film and AI and everything like that. But speaking of, uh, you know, writing, let's dive into kind of the topic of the hour, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, written and directed by James Gunn. Now, James Gunn, he's a big player as far as directors go in the Hollywood scene. And he has, uh, he's been in the the news a lot recently, um, not only for being a part of the Marvel Universe, but for also being selected as the new head of the DCU, Detective Comments uh, DCU universe over there and on that side of things. But um, yeah, I mean, this is the third movie in this trilogy, Guardians of the Galaxy. And we'll talk more about 
the film, but do you like James Gunn as a as a director? He's had some kind of muddled past a little bit in terms of in terms of Marvel. I mean, I know he he actually got fired from this movie and then got brought back because the actors almost didn't want to do the movie without him. Do I have that right? Yeah. He was fired due to some a tweet he had, right? Some controversial know. tweets he did all before he made any of the Guardians movies when he was just an up and coming director. So a while back and he did admit that, you know, they were probably in poor taste but that he wasn't that person anymore. And yeah. you know, and he did own up to it. It wasn't like he was trying to deny. He did say like yes. I did send yeah. those tweets, you he know, apologized. they were a while ago. Yeah, he apologized. They were in bad taste. Um, it seemed like when he did get fired, the actors really rallied behind him. Yeah, rallied behind him because they all, from what I gather, think he's a great guy, you know, today. And that sounds like the, the case, sir. I don't really know James Gunn before he did the Marvel films. Do you know any of his previous films and what were they like? And Yeah, well, good? the first film that I saw of his was it was like a little known horror flick called slither and you know i'm i'm a horror fan so i really enjoyed it you know it was, it was low budget it did have nathan fillion and uh, michael rooker were in it which mm. you know they're also in guardians of the galaxy volume three and so it was good it was the a weird. very yeah sound weird you know james gunn does have a unique vision and I think, you know, after that, he did kind of do a superhero movie before, but it was kind of his take on the superhero movie. Do you know which movie I'm talking about? No, what's it called? Maybe if you tell me the name, I might recognize it. Uh, Super or something? Yes. And it stars... Rain Wilson? Yes. Yes. Okay. I haven't seen it, but I remember hearing about it. And I remember it kind of being like in the in the zeitgeist of the movie's uh, atmosphere because of, uh, I don't know, I guess it was positive, positively received. It was. And once again, it's a it's a unique take on it. Obviously, he, he cut his teeth. He became really mainstream with Guardians of the Galaxy, which I think everybody will agree. The first film was a different take on um, the MCU at the time, I think it was different from any other MCU movie that had come out. It was right. definitely it was way, great. Yeah, it leaned in a little more on the humor than mm -hmm. um, some of the other movies. And I thought it was when I first heard that they were that Marvel was doing a Guardians of the Galaxy movie film. I mean, you all know I'm a huge comic book fan. I've been reading them since a young boy. Yeah, a young and lad. A young lad and young Guardians lad. of the Galaxy was just such a minor comic book. You know, I never actually picked up an actual title starring Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, I read some books where they were just like guest starring, you know, like yeah. with the Avengers, but yeah. never like its own comic book. So yeah. I thought it was very interesting that Marvel was doing that. Of course, you know, Marvel, you know, the story, I, I think everyone knows the story of how Marvel kind of had to go with some of its their B characters B because they yeah. had sold the rights to other studios. Yeah, they didn't own Spider-Man. They didn't own Hulk. You know, uh, they didn't own X-Men X or Fantastic, Fantastic Four. Four. So right. they had to start, you know, at the time, Iron Man was a, a B-list Marvel character. Now he's like, he's like huge. And he's like, everybody loves Iron Man, of course. But, you know, go back 15 years ago, it's kind of a, a risk to do these B-level heroes. Right. With the success of Iron Man, you know, Marvel really started 
to look at some of their other titles. And, you know, James Gunn wanted to do a Guardians of the Galaxy movie. I think everybody, like I said, I I thought, wow, that's a strange choice. How's that going to turn out? But it was a great movie. I think something very refreshing for the MCU at the time. Like I said, it, it was a different... They were going down a kind of a yeah yeah it's it a different weird. road. I, I remember just like seeing it, and it was a, definitely a great movie. I think, but yeah, how different it felt. It wasn't like your typical superhero movie. It wasn't even a superhero movie. It's more like a space adventure kind of like almost a like western. A, yeah, like a wet, almost like a Star Wars type movie, right? Set in the universe of you know superheroes, but it didn't feel like your typical Captain America, Thor, Iron Man film. It was just like a refreshing thing to watch at the time and it was i think it just it hit it is a great great hit for marvel for james gunn really kind of catapulted him and marvel even further to their into their success that they were having i think you nailed it when you said it was a refreshing take i think it was you know marvel was tired at the time it was new this the writing was complete in regards to you know there was a lot of character there's a lot of heart in the movie not so much in the earlier Marvel films. You know, they're almost more straight action. This one was more, was about family and there was a lot of heart to it. And and there was a lot of action and it was exciting and, and great to watch. Yeah. I it think makes me almost miss the days when Marvel could take a little known or lesser known character or a group of characters and just knock it out of the park with something that was just so well received. I feel like those days are kind of behind us too much they need they've had they've had more l's instead of wins in that category recently but uh yeah so fast forward you know he did guardians of the galaxy 2 we could talk about that another time you know pretty well received pretty good film maybe that's good as the first one now we're at guardians of the galaxy volume 3 a lot has happened in the mcu since then um, which you don't have to rehash all of that you know the same cast of characters are here we have uh, star lord peter quill played by chris pratt and talk about Chris Pratt a little bit. This role, going back to Guardians 1, this was kind of his breakout role too. And I think I remember hearing him interviewed or somewhere on a magazine or podcast or whatever it was. After he got the role of um, Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, he never had to audition for a film ever again. So that this film, the original film, should I say, put him on the map. And he's been a huge success in lots of films uh, just to name a few, like uh, Jurassic World, Lego movies for Mario Brothers, all this stuff. He's been kicking ass as a Star-Lord. I think he was really well cast. Would you agree? Oh, 100%. I mean, Chris Pratt, probably his most high-profile gig was Parks and Rec. Right. Even then, he was a supporting character on that. But I think everybody, except for possibly Bradley Cooper and Vin Diesel, who's just the voice of Groot, were you know not huge. Right. for this movie but this movie made a lot of people you know mainstream mm-hmm. famous and and yeah. in the mouths of the general public dave bautista dave bautista right and zoe saldana mm-hmm. although i think she was slowly on the rise but i think this film or the first guardians really you know shot her into stardom but that was the one thing like you said i think marvel was able to do and kevin feige who was overseeing the whole thing was you know they were able to take you know, lesser known, but good creative talent, you know, just give them good material and let them do what they can do. And they became superstars. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's pretty amazing. And that, and that kind of put Marvel even, even further into the stratosphere of its success. I mean, it's not really 
I would argue not what it once was and hopefully they get back to that. But movies like Guardians of the Galaxy and stars and directors like Chris Pratt, like James Gunn, they were all part of that, you know, rocket ship that just sent Marvel up and up and up. And here we are, you know, volume three. And um, I would argue it's it's probably not the best one, maybe the probably not even the second best one. So out of the three, I probably liked it the least. I think it's still a solid film. You know, we'll talk a little bit about that further, but I don't know. It just felt a little little bit less fun for me going I, through the movie. Would you would you kind of agree with that sentiment? I would rate them I did enjoy the movie, but yeah, I would bad. rate them in the order they came out. The first one's the best, yeah. volume two is the second best, and volume three is the third best. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that's how I rate the first three Indiana Jones movies too. It's mm-hmm. Raiders, Temple of Doom, and then um, The Last Crusade. Although that's probably a, a controversial pick, I know a lot of people love The Last Crusade and would and think Temple of Doom is the worst movie out of the original trilogy. But I rate those one, two, three as well, and so Guardians also gets that same one, two, three rating for me. Yeah, I, I'd probably go the same one, two, three. Not Indiana Jones, different, different take. I'd probably go two, one, three. Really, this, this you is... rank Temple of Doom as the Dude. best movie? Temple of Doom, I could talk about for hours. That is wow. That's a that's, that's an a even classic. hotter take than mine. That's not a hot take. Come on, there are thousands of people in the popcorn society that would agree with me. Temple of Doom. I think it was kind of. I think you're right. There are only thousands of the thousands. billions of people of planet that would rank Temple of Doom as but the those best. Thousands Raiders. carry a lot of weight. Okay. I mean, they are very important and influential people out there so it's not about numbers all, all of a sudden i mean all the time it's about who you are not how many you are but i i mean i digress i think temple of doom kind of was thrown together a little bit and a little bit mismanaged in its creation but somehow what came out of the oven and baked even though it was a little bit you know mishmashed was a a cult classic in a ways i mean we should probably do a different podcast on on indiana jones temple of doom or, or raiders but uh but yeah i think we to- will I think we will. We'll have to. But back to um, Guardians. I mean, Chris Pratt's kind of a Harrison Ford-ish kind of uh, actor, I think, in terms of his bravado. I mean, how he carries himself kind of like a, you know, action hero slash kind of comedy at times. I actually, I heard there was a time when they were considering him to take over as Indiana Jones, kind of reboot the franchise and he would be yeah, the new Indiana Jones. Yeah. Maybe they should have done that instead of putting out what they did with Dial of Destiny. Oh. I don't want to talk about that movie. Oh, okay. Not Clearly, even in a future podcast. Clearly we have some Indiana Jones baggage that we, you and I need to, to sort out yeah. on another podcast. Yeah. But yeah, volume three, let me just say this. First of all, let's, let's say this. One of the great things I loved about volume one was the music that was a little unexpected how there's such a musical element with the songs they wove into the movie i didn't really connect with the songs they used in this one the same thing in volume two but even to a, a greater degree in volume three here that's just that should be more of a staple of like what excites you and kind of like gets you into the mood and gets you going gets you into the groove of the movie and I didn't feel the music that they used. I can't even think of a song off the top of my head right now. I don't know. I felt like that was lacking. Did you get the same thing or no? That's a big For part of the movie. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1, you know, he, he obviously has a love of 70s, early 80s music, rock, pop music. Yeah. And I think for the first movie, he used the most popular songs that 
you know, there was the Jackson Five, and but he still used some obscure on ones. I mean, I right. was singing myself. Uh-huh. I mean, I thought it was. I'm a big ELO fan, so for Volume Two, when mm-hmm. you know that sequence where little baby Groot is listening while the rest of the Guardians are fighting those tentacle monsters, mm-hmm. was was great. Anytime anybody uses ELO and Mister Blue, I I'm all aboard. I am mm-hmm. with it. He the music was I thought it was appropriate. I it might have been the least catchy and the yeah, maybe some of the least well known. I he puts a lot of thought into. You know, the music, they're not just, you know, needle drops to to put needle drops in there. Yeah. He puts a lot of thought into, you know, the lyrics like and the, the hits and the, in there, right? It's yeah. Like and, carefully yeah. He's not just going to put popular songs in there. He's going to put just songs yeah. right that he thinks are relevant for the scene, kind of match tonally with what's going on on screen. So I will kind of digress a little bit. Did you ever watch the Peacemaker series on HBO Max? You know, I only got in about two or three episodes deep on that, and I just, I couldn't do it. I just lost interest. And I don't know what it was. I think John Cena was okay. I don't know. I have a whole different take on kind of TV shows when it comes to the MCU and the, and the DCU anyways. I don't know. I mean, I, it was kind of good, and it got good reviews. I think it was well-liked, but I couldn't I couldn't get into it. Well, I'll tell you, though, the opening song for that is, once again, it's a little known. It's a wigwam song. Do you want to taste it? And just the the fact that he used it at first, I was like, this is such a strange choice. And the opening sequence is so strange, but it works. It's just mm-hmm. typically once I've seen the opening credits once, I'll skip over it. You know how there's always that skip intro button. I'll usually hit that. But for Peacemaker, I was watching it every time and I had a smile on my face every time. And I thought, this is the magic of James Gunn and music. Like he will choose a very obscure little known song and yet make it... Because it matches so well with what's going on the screen, matches tonally, and it just works. It just puts a smile on my face. His choices, even for volume three, I thought work. You know, I'm a child of the 70s and 80s anyway, so. Yeah, he kind of makes strange choices that somehow end up working, either good, pretty good, or really good. He doesn't make choices that like, okay, that stunk. They all kind of fit together in in a good way and they mesh together. And I think uh, even though I didn't see Peacemaker, I did see Suicide Squad, kind of his first film on the DC DC side of things. And essentially, that movie is about, you know, a motley crew of, of weird heroes that fight a giant starfish. And as weird as that sounds, the movie actually is works pretty well. He pulls it off in, in, a, in a pretty good way. And I'm sure that kind of helped him get in the door even further on the DC side of things. But that's what James Gunn does. He takes weird things weird weird ideas different ideas different actors and he just is able to make them work together in his own unique quote-unquote james gunn kind of way did you like uh, the suicide squad yeah that's where we're going to differ because i wasn't a huge fan of the suicide squad i mean it's interesting because i loved P- peacemaker which is mm-hmm. you know an offshoot of that film peacemaker i thought was just brilliant a brilliant series the writing was fantastic james gunn did all of it he usually with a series like that, James Gunn or whoever it is will write maybe the first two episodes, they'll direct the first two, and then they'll write and direct the, the final episode. But he did it all. It really shows. I thought it was really, really good. Well, maybe I need to, to finish that series. Is there a season two in development? Or was there before the strike? That I am not sure not of. Sure. Season one is excellent. I thought it was hands down 
way better than the Suicide Squad. To jump over this bridge really quickly, and we'll come back to the Marvel side of things. Over to DC, James Gunn is now the head honcho pretty much. Maybe like second in command as far as what has going to happen as far as films go on the DC universe. I think it's worth it, worth a shot. I mean, DC was such a mess for a long time. I do kind of feel bad at some choices that he made, like not continuing with it with Henry Cavill as Superman. I get it in the, in the sense that DC kind of needs one vision and one voice and one direction to intertwine their movies and make them all connected and make them kind of flow. James Gunn's probably as good of candidate as anybody to do that, knowing how he his track record is and his passion for this kind of these kind of movies. I'm not 100% confident that he's going to pull it off either. I mean, this is a, a pretty big undertaking. He is directing kind of like the launch of the new DC DCU, which is his Superman movie, I, which is weird because he's also it'd be like if Kevin Feige decided to, to direct a, a Marvel film now. Kevin Feige is not a director, but James Gunn has a lot to do. And part one of this is, or phase one is to direct a, a new Superman film. Do you think he's going to pull it off and, and get DC in a better place? He's definitely got the talent. The main criticism with, I think, a lot of the... Yeah, with a lot of the DC films is I know a lot of the DC fanboys felt like they were trying to be too much like Marvel. Then they decide to, okay, we're going to just scrap everything before and we're going to bring in one of the most popular Marvel directors to kind of oversee our whole new DC extended universe. I will watch anything that James Gunn does. The route where they're just rebooting everything, restarting just about everything Mm-hmm. is a we'll practical see, right? or a good choice. Yeah, because, I mean, it's almost saying DC, on one hand, is also saying, we're going to reboot everything. Why bother watching all this other stuff? Yeah, and the other right? stuff has been, been kind of trashed lately anyways. So maybe the reboot is kind of inevitable, but you're you're kind of rebooting or throwing away some, some good pieces that were popular, like a Henry Cavill, like a Gal Gadot, like a Ben Affleck. I think there there is some truth in the fact that they wanted to be kind of like Marvel, but I don't know. I kind of liked it when they were a little bit different from Marvel, like a Zack Snyder film was darker in tone. It was not Marvel. It didn't look like it, smell like it, feel like it. I kind of right. liked the difference. Now, I don't know, you know, Zack Snyder like or don't like his style, but I liked how it felt different than anything Marvel had done. I hope it works out. I, I'm a big Superman guy, and so I really hope he just does a great job and hits a home run in Superman Legacy. So that'll be that'll be kind of a, a good start, I would say, if he's able to, to make that one work for us. So fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'm not one of those, like, it's, I'm Marvel and I'm not DC. I think that's strange, the people who are anti- DC or anti-Marvel because they like DC or they like Marvel. I mm-hmm. think there's plenty of room to like both. Yeah. They, like why both. do you have to hate? Just, yeah. yeah they're they're, they're versus them. It's just... They're different universes. They're different characters and yeah. they can both coexist and we can all be happy. Hope for the success of the DC universe. And I think James Gunn, if anybody can do it, he can do it. We'll see. We will see. And I'd love to talk more DC stuff with you on another another time, another podcast. But let's jump back over to the Marvel side of things. I think with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, one of the things that missed he missed on with this film, um, in my opinion, even though, again, it's, it's not saying it's a bad movie, but what made it not as good as it could have been is I think he missed on the major plot of this movie, which was he made it about he made it about Rocket. It's basically a movie about Rocket Raccoon 
his backstory. He's the heart of the film. I don't know if that was Beth's creative choice. It hit some hit some notes there, hit some heart heart moments, heartfelt moments with like, you know, the animal rights and you know the cute little raccoons and the bunnies and all that stuff. But I think I would have much rather seen a different backstory, maybe Quill or with Drax or or somebody else. I didn't really like the whole idea of basing this movie on on Rocket. Well, James Gunn has publicly gone out and said that Rocket is his favorite character. And he mm-hmm. sees a lot of himself in Rocket. I love the you know Rocket Raccoon character. I think right, I, but that he the is whole movie he, off of him. I don't know. Yeah, I almost think he is kind of the the heart of the Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, definitely by the end of the movie, he becomes the leader of the Guardians of the Galaxy. True. I don't think that's, that's a spoiler. The movie's been out for a while and it's streaming. So if you haven't seen it. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. And we do spoilers on this show. So if you haven't seen these movies, that's uh, this is not a spoiler free podcast. Just throwing right. it out there. <laughs> and I think that was something that James Gunn really he wanted to end because I think he has also publicly said that this is his final. He knew it was his last Guardians novel. of the Galaxy. Right. So he did want to tell Rocket's story. I feel like Peter Quinn, we kind of got his backstory, you know, and, and the movie that Volume 3 does deal with Star-Lord grieving about the death of Gamora, even though yeah. there is a Gamora in this movie, but it's yeah. not his his Gamora. At the but end, the, the movie, movie is flashbacks to, to, to Rocket's Right, right. Past. You know, we kind of come full circle on Peter Quill's story. At the end, he does go back to Earth and he reconnects with his grandfather, which I thought was great. I love that resolution to his story. Is it the end of his story? I mean, at the end of the credits, it says that Star-Lord will return. I, I, so. I think you'll see more Peter Quill. I don't think there'll be another Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but I think Peter Quill will come back maybe in his own movie or an Avengers movie. But I, right. I think they kind of left that door open. I think we'll see another Guardians of the Galaxy movie, but it's not going to be the you know, the group that we, from the first three. Yeah. I, I I think we'll have Rocket. I think we'll have Groot. You know, Mantis has left. Those two and then some new characters, probably Cosmo. Cosmo, oh. this dog, the space dog. Yes. So. Yeah, another weird kind of uh, James Gunn-ish type implementation. into the But film. great. I thought Cosmo, I, I loved Cosmo in this movie. You're a um, bad dog. Bad yes. Dog. <laughs> yes. I, I I enjoyed the yeah. rocket backstory. I it think didn't if... bother you as much. He, he, I think it was the wrong creative choice. I mean, it's still he did it. He did it with heartfelt passion, and you could tell he really thought that was an important story to tell. I just don't think for enjoyment purposes of what the movie could have been, it maybe wasn't my favorite idea. But he he does dive into it. One other detail I, I wanted to bring up, which kind of bothered me. I don't know why, but did you notice that you don't see Peter Quill doesn't have his his Star Lord helmet, his mask in this film at all. doesn't doesn't wear it. I'm not even sure if he has his rocket his rocket little rocket boots either, which seems kind of like how can you have a Guardians of the Galaxy Peter Quill movie and not have his his helmet, his classic Peter Quill Star Lord helmet? Come on, James Gunn. Once again, I think it's about you know his story coming full circle. You know, he comes to terms with. The fact that his Gamora is gone, there's a new Gamora, but it's not the same one that he had. And so he accepts that and kind of 
lets her go, doesn't try to make her be something that she's not, which I thought was a great element. Yeah, he goes back to being almost like a normal human. Yeah. He's back in with his grandfather on <laughs> Earth. So, you know, there's no room for the Star-Lord helmet. Maybe I'm being nitpicky, but I, I don't know. I, I like to, I like that Star-Lord, Star-Lord helmet. It was cool, man. But well, those, I'm sure we haven't, like you said, I'm sure we haven't seen the last of it. I guess you got to kind of try new things or, or go different directions. We've seen a lot of the Guardians already. We've had, you know, three films, uh, almost five films. If you count, I mean, they were a big part of the Guardians were uh, Avengers Infinity War. They're, they're, they have a lot of screen time in that film. Not as much an in-game, but they are an in-game as well. So that's one, almost another film in and of itself. And then you have the Christmas special that came out last year. So when you have this much Guardians going on, I guess James Gunn, like you said, it's his last hurrah. He wanted to do things his way. But we've we've seen a lot of the Guardians up to this point in the MCU. Um, well, don't, and don't forget their little appearance in Thor Love and Thunder. Oh, yeah. Not to overlook that. I mean, right. I want to talk a little bit about the Christmas special because volume three kind of takes place right after the Christmas special. Yeah, yeah. Once again, not a lot of Peter Quill in there. James Gunn just focuses on Mantis and Drax. And Drax. And yeah, they go off and kidnap Kevin Bacon. And I think the one big bomb that he reveals in the Christmas special is that Peter Quill and Mantis are siblings. But didn't we know that, though, from volume two? Was that in volume two? I didn't I think that was. Because in... we learned that Mantis was also, um, she was the daughter of Ego, right? I thought we learned that in volume two. If not, maybe I read it somewhere or maybe it was revealed yeah. later. Ego was kind of a player. He got around and predated a lot of different species. And, and Mantis was his daughter. And then Peter's his son. So they're like half sibling. From what I understood from volume two i mean i haven't seen it in a couple of years was that her main role was you know to help him kind of relax and and to yeah right and sleep and things like that i don't think it was revealed i could be wrong in volume two that that she was his daughter it might not have been revealed directly or outspoken i think if you look closely though and kind of egos telling his story about turning himself into a man and having different love interests i think you do see him kind of embracing with a mantis type woman they are siblings they are brother or sister so they have that relationship and that's explored in the Christmas special, right? Yes, that is definitely explored in the and Christmas she wants special. To give him a, a good Christmas gift. Yeah, I liked in the Christmas special how you know James Gunn uses that little animated sequence to kind of show when Peter Quill was first among the Ravagers and he was trying to tell everybody about Christmas. And um, Yondu was like, "Oh, Christmas sucks, and you don't need presents and everything." He never had a proper Christmas even though it was his favorite holiday. So that's why Mantis wanted to do that. But then it's also, you know, and this is the thing that James Gunn does. His his storylines have a lot of heart and it pulls it all around. You finally find out that Yandu was, he had a big heart at the end and you yeah. find out that Peter Quill got his, his blasters from Yandu as a Christmas present. Like you said, heart. I think he does deliver heart and he injects heart into his, all his films, I guess. But I'm particularly talking about the Guardians and the Christmas special. I did feel that as well. I remember watching this on Christmas Day, I think, with my family, my mom, my cousins, my brother, sisters, kids. Like we all kind of curled up on our couches and and watched this on Christmas Day, which was kind of neat. Do you like like special presentations that Marvel 
done they've done a couple of them right they have i think i don't know this i think this was the first one that was i mean it was about an hour long that was directly tied into one of the films they have done you know they did that kind of halloween special the werewolf by night which i thought was great i don't know did you ever see that one yeah, I did. I thought it was cool that it was, you know, released during Halloween time. I don't know if these are the best ways to introduce new characters. I kind of like them as fillers, like the Christmas special is with characters you already know. But Werewolf by Night was was fine. I don't see how it connects to anything at all. And maybe it won't. But yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about these special presentations in general. I wonder if they'll keep doing them at all. As long as they're good and they tell a good story. I, I hope they do. And so far, I feel like these two have been, you know, it's a Christmas special, kind of a Halloween special, and they're not gimmicky. Sometimes, you know, when they do this stuff, it's it's a gimmick, but the Guardians one tells an actual story, even though it's based on a kind of funny premise where they're going to kidnap Kevin Bacon as a Christmas <laughs> present to, yeah, to Star-Lord, to Peter Quill. It had a lot of heart. And, you know, and they also throw back if if you didn't see the Christmas special, I don't think it's necessary to see it to enjoy volume three. I like at the end little teaser where he goes back and he's eating breakfast with his grandpa and he's reading the newspaper. And one of the headlines is Kevin Bacon opens up about his kidnapping. Yeah. You know, just just cool little Easter eggs like that. Well, um, Peter Quill is a big Kevin Bacon fan because... Footloose is one of the last films he saw as a kid before he was kidnapped off of Earth, and he idolizes uh, Kevin Bacon. That's uh, his pick. That's his pickup line for Gamora. That's right. Who's the guy I'm thinking of? The Knight Rider guy, Baywatch guy, David he, Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff, another you know, guy he idolizes as well. But yeah, Christmas special was good, and we'll see how things end up with the Guardians moving forward. To stay on the, a few more things on this movie really quick, what'd you think of the villain? His name was the High Evolutionary. The actor's name, I don't know if you I, want to try. I'm going to butcher I'm it. Not, yeah, I'm not even going to try and say it, but it's like Chukwudi Awuji? Chukwudi Awuji? Something like that? Yeah. I think you have to say it with that inflection. Chukwudi Awuji? Awuji. Yes. All right. I think that uh, was kind of a... a B element, like B, B minus element of the film as well. In my opinion, a lot of times a good movie, a good film, a good superhero film, that's only as good as its bad guy or its villain. And he was a little bit, he didn't do it for me. The high evolutionary, kind of a weird guy trying to, to do genetics and create the perfect society. And he created this weird kind of alternate earth where people were animals and human and even though he's a good he's like a decent actor and a decent enough actor the villain i think was not a high point or highlight of the movie because the high evolutionaries is pulled directly from the comics but he's more of a celestial serene being i mean he's almost like a galactus type character where his what he does he feels like he's above the morality of us humans and what he's doing is beyond reproach it's it's not nihilistic but it's just you know i mean he kind of sees himself as a god i thought their take on the character in the movie he seemed a little over the top i don't know if that was chuck woody's choice you know to yeah. kind of i mean he did he took him to some extremes there was some intense moments like some pretty much manic screaming going on <laughs> he, he screamed uh, a lot he did scream a lot. You know, some elements of his character that I did like was just, to him, human life, any type of life was disposable, was expendable. It, he stayed at least true to that take on that character. You know, the performance I thought was a little bit over the top. I like to see a more, 
I don't know if I should even be comparing him to King the Conqueror because in the Ant-Man movie, King was a little yeah also extreme. But then we also find out that there's so many different versions of King because yeah. you know, the King that we see in Ant-Man is not the same King that we saw in the Loki series. So I think, I think King they can... is an interesting, interesting kind of uh, phase four or five, the multiverse saga overarching villain there was some right. chatter you know fan theories hot takes that maybe the high evolutionary was a king variant uh, i don't think i, that's I did king. read that as well I could, I could see why you might think that because they kind of both have this purplish weird costume uniform on they're both black and i think it's just a, a theory but i don't think that holds any weight but yeah maybe what about adam warlock what do you think of that character kind of villainous you know, he's he's sent at the beginning to go and to yeah. kill the Guardians of the Galaxy. Well, I was excited to know ahead of time that the Warlock was going to be in the film. How he ended up being portrayed to kind of caught me off guard. But I think it was a cool way of doing it. He was kind of like a child in terms of his maturity. I like Will Poulter as an actor. I think he's a very, very good actor. I mean, he kind of didn't get to show a ton of his acting chops in this film. But I think he is a really capable actor. And I hope I see more of him in the MCU. But I think that was actually a good part of the movie that I enjoyed was Warlock. A kind of parallel I see here is that I think James Gunn kind of did a dry run on Superman almost with Adam Warlock because through the flying through the air and having these powers and Superman-esque feel to him. Yeah, I liked him more than the high evolutionary. Warlock kind of disappears in the middle of the movie. He's there at the beginning and then we get him at the end. He kind of disappears in the middle. So I think I would have liked to have seen more of them. And I think you're right. I think we could have done with a little less high evolutionary and a little more Adam Warlock. Because then I think the redemption thing at the end would have hit a little harder. I mean, it, it, it's still good. But I think if we saw more of Adam Warlock just trying to kill the Guardians and, you know, he's just hell bent on that's his mission. We yeah. kind of just see it at the beginning and then yeah, he disappears. I thought originally he was going to be the main villain of the, of the film when I heard the right. announcement. And correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't Adam Warlock in the comics, he's kind of, he plays both sides. He's kind of not a good guy, but not a bad guy, but kind of does his own thing and whatever side that is like so be it he's not really black right. and white character he, he's almost like, like the same thing like the high evolutionary in the comics he's kind of he's above like morality and above right and wrong it's just he kind of does his own thing and it is also interesting because adam warlock has a gemstone in his forehead which i thought that's why they were bringing him into the mcu you know, as an introduction and, tr you know, try and make that a an Infinity Stone, but they Which don't. wasn't the case. It, yeah. it wasn't the case. And I thought that's how they were, you know, why they were bringing him into it. And I, yeah. I do like the, the way they did bring him in and how he, you know, he's kind of brought in by the, I think it's Aisha who's also in this movie. She returns from volume two as well. And I do kind of like that whole mother kind of son relationship that they have. They didn't go the route I thought they were going to to go with adam warlock and i would have liked to have seen more yeah i want to see more of his evil side i think because i think he plays as a, a better villain than as a member of the guardians of the galaxy how he kind of joins them in the end because i do think will Poulter has the capability to play a really good bad guy you know hopefully they they tinker with that a little bit more i think he was enjoyable just wanted to see more warlock he's a good character he's a good comic book character let's let's see more of him less of a high evolutionary with with his face ripped off i mean they kind of hint that adam warlock is going to be a part of the guardians now so if yeah. they do continue with the films i'm sure we're going to be seeing a lot more of him excellent 
overall, the movie was positive. I think compared to some other recent Marvel films, it was better, I would say, than like Ant-Man, Quantumania. I think it was better than Thor, Love and Thunder. But again, not the most enjoyable, as we both agree, a Guardians film. James Gunn got to go out on his terms, and uh, I think he did a, a decent job, and and we'll, we wish him best of luck in, in the DC. What are your overall last impressions or last thoughts of, uh, of Volume 3? I think it was a good send-off for the current cast that we have. And I think James Gunn, you know, it's his swan song in the Marvel Universe. I won't say it's his swan song. I, I heard read he's going to collaborate as well, that he's not cutting himself off from the Marvel, you know, as, as a director. I think he did a good job. It's it's not my favorite Guardians movie, but I think it, it did a good job of bringing the story around full circle. And, you know, we're introduced to some new characters. We get some closure on some other characters. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I think that, you know, if we do, if we don't see any more of the Guardians of the Galaxy, I won't be upset. Um, but if there are more adventures in the future, then I'm happy for that as well. Even if they're not helmed by James Gunn, Kevin Feige still, I think, would pick a somebody who could carry on the torch. At least I hope he would. James Gunn did a great job with this series. And uh, Volume 3, I think, hit where it needed to hit. I think, you know, he understood his assignment and what he needed to do for the final film. He did a good job. He did. And I, I don't want to bash on James Gunn. I think he is a genius. I think he's the upper echelon uh, director. Almost everything he delivers is is pretty good filmmaking. And that's hard to do. Making good movies is not easy. If it was, you'd see a lot of good movies all the time, but you just don't see that. So I think you know DC is probably in, in decent hands. And I appreciate the passion he has for this genre. And I'm glad we got to see volume three. I would say it was... As a word that you've used before, Troy, serviceable, you know, maybe a notch above serviceable in the MCU. But that was our take today on uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Troy, what are we going to do next? We are going to discuss the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. I originally was not too excited about that movie, but I am now. And I can't wait to talk about it with you, Bryn. It's going to be good stuff. It's and it's animated. I mean, I I'm a pretty good, pretty big Turtles fan. I mean, maybe maybe not the last 20 years of my life, but first 10, 15 years of my life, that first movie that came out, I still enjoy it to this day. That's to have some turtle power, turtle talk, and we'll we'll dive into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, created by Seth Rogen, if I'm not mistaken. Is he? Yeah, the, he's he's uh the he, mastermind. He helped write. He helped write the script. So I'm excited to talk about it. Good stuff. We look forward to talking some. Uh, TMNT on Popcorn Society next time. Until then, thank you for listening. And Troy, you keep popping, man. Never stop popping. No cinema kernel left on pop, sir. No kernel left behind. Thank you for listening to uh, Popcorn Society. Love you. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.